Hello and welcome back to the Bible Companion series with P.H. Thompson. This is Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, fourth complaint, nostalgia. It has been 30 days since the formerly enslaved Israelites left Ramses to go to the Promised Land. They had passed through the Red Sea and then watched as God fought for them and destroyed the Egyptian army in the same waters. As soon as they were faced with only bitter water, they complained against Moses. This was their third complaint. The first two occurred while they were still in Egypt. Now they had moved to a place called the Desert of Sin, between Elam, an oasis where they had rested, and Sinai, their destination. As is often the case when we are in difficult circumstances, we compare where we are to where we have been. The Israelites seemed to suffer from short-term memory loss, forgetting what God did for them in Egypt, how he had taken two million people out of that nation, brought them through a sea on dry ground, and provided clean water for them. They not only remembered only the good things of Egypt, but they longed for death there instead of here. This was their fourth complaint against Moses and Aaron, and it involved the whole community. They said, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They attribute Moses with leading them rather than God. They also attribute evil motives to him as if he desired their death. The hand of the Lord they had praised after the Red Sea crossing they now wished would have been used against them instead. One of my favorite comedians, Stephen Wright, who is known for his deadpan one-liners, says, Nostalgia was better in the old days. Nostalgia is a sentimental longing for the past, usually for a period of time or a place associated with personal happiness. The words, if only, are two of the saddest words, revealing regret. Egypt was not a place of happiness. They were enslaved for 400 years, Yet at this point, all they could remember was the good food. They sat around pots of meat and ate all the food they wanted. A month into their travel travels and their supply of food had run out. They were no doubt really hungry. However, they were unlikely to starve to death since they had all their flocks and herds with them. Their complaining made no sense. Why did they forget so quickly and begin complaining? In spite of the fact that Moses told Pharaoh they were to go out into the wilderness to serve God, many of them thought God existed to serve them. Otherwise, they were ready to abandon him. Verses 4 and 5, The Promise of Manna In Egypt, God had warned Pharaoh in advance of many of the plagues. Here, he announces blessing in advance of its arrival. God answers their complaints by revealing to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. This would be another miracle, but one that would be ongoing for the next 40 years. It was called bread from heaven. It would fall from the sky. God would give them their daily bread as he provides ours. They didn't have to keep a supply in their tents. God would faithfully provide it the next day. He could be trusted. They didn't need to hoard. 
They were instructed to go out and collect it daily, only enough for that day. God said he would test them to see if they would follow his instructions. They didn't have to plant crops and tend to them. They only had to collect it, like we shop for groceries, except this was theirs at no cost. They were to gather twice as much on the sixth day and prepare it for the seventh day so that it wouldn't spoil and they wouldn't have to work that day. The Sabbath distinctions are beginning even before God officially calls it, calls the seventh day a Sabbath. But this day of rest had been established at creation. Verses 6 through 8, Rebuke of Unbelief. Then Moses and Aaron rebuked the Israelites for their unbelief that God could and would provide for them. He tells them that behind their grumbling to he and Aaron, they were really complaining to God. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? He reminds them of the omniscience of God. He sees and hears and knows everything, even the thoughts of their hearts. He repeats the promise and rebuke, saying God will give them meat to eat in the evening and all the bread they want in the morning. The things they had missed in Egypt, God was well able to provide. Then he added, Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. The phrasing, evening and morning, would remind the reader again of the book of Genesis, which Moses also wrote, and the creation account. There, each day was described in this way, so the evening and the morning were the third day. Now, now the evening and morning would again reveal God's power and glory. Verses 9 and 10, the glory of the Lord appears. Then God summons the entire community to himself, because he has heard their grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. We're not told any more than this, so it is pointless to guess, but glory involves witnessing God's presence, which leads to awe and worship. Verses 11 and 13, Quail for Dinner Four times it is mentioned that God has heard the grumbling of the Israelites against them. But in spite of their ungrateful response to his goodness, he will continue to respond graciously to them. God says, tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. This was the fifteenth reason God acted on their behalf in a miraculous way. He provided for them in spite of their grumbling because he was gracious and wanted them to know that he was their God. When God plagued the Egyptians, it was so they'd know he was the Lord. When God provided for the Israelites, it was so they'd know he was their God. The psalmist Asaph comments on this. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God. They said, Can God really spread a table in the wilderness? Psalm 78, 17-19 The answer to the question was yes, because that evening quail came and covered the camp. All creatures are his to control, and he sends them where he wishes. Verses 14-18, through 18, Manna Provided 
the incredible supply of meat for dinner was eclipsed by the unique breakfast they found the next morning. We're told, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses answered, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. God knew they'd need carbohydrates while they journeyed, and they had no access to grains or facilities to process them. This bread was both a raw ingredient that could be cooked in several different ways, as well as a staple already ready to eat on its own. We can only wonder what it tasted like. Another one of those questions to ask when we get to heaven. They were to gather only as much as they needed, but there would be enough for everyone, because God knew how to supply food for his people. They were told to take an omer per person. An omer was slightly more than two quarts, or just under two liters. So they did as they were told. Larger family groups gathered much. Smaller groups gathered little. Then, when they measured it out, they found that the ones who gathered much didn't have too much, and the ones who gathered a little didn't have too little. We're told everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Not surprisingly, God's calculations were accurate. Verses 19 through 30, Instructions on Gathering Manna. Then Moses gave them further instructions. No one is to keep any of it until morning. They were to only take as much as required and then eat what they've gathered. However, some decided to test the command, ignoring Moses' instructions as if they were mere suggestions. We're not told why they did this. They kept part of it till morning and found it spoiled very quickly. When they woke up, they found their manna was full of maggots and foul-smelling. This outright disobedience made Moses very angry with them. So this was a most unique crop. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. They couldn't wait till later to gather it as it disintegrated in the sun. It had to be collected first thing in the morning and cooked and eaten that day. As God had instructed Moses in verse 5, on the sixth day they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. They did this, but didn't yet know the reason for it. They must have feared it would spoil again if left till morning, as it had earlier. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. This is the first mention in scripture of a Sabbath rest even before God makes it official. The descriptions of it are a day of rest and a holy Sabbath to the Lord. It is for their benefit to rest and it is to give glory to God for being set apart by being set apart as a holy day. They obeyed, gathered four quarts per person, and found to their surprise that the manna didn't stink or get maggots in it, even though it was kept till the next day, because God preserved it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath to the Lord. 
You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Any explanations to describe this unique miracle by natural means are inadequate. There has never been anything like it before or since. It occurred only there in the wilderness for the duration of the wandering, when it stopped forty years later as God said it would. It appeared in the morning and melted away in the sun. It spoiled quickly except on Saturday, and twice as much fell on Friday and none on Saturday. There is no explanation except a miraculous intervention of God on behalf of his people. Again, there are those rebellious people who disobey and test the command. They went out to look for it on the seventh day and were surprised to find none, not even one. This time, it's not Moses who's angry, but God. He asks, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Then Moses tells the people the reason for the difference in supply. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. This time they obeyed. So the people rested on the seventh day. This would remind the reader of the book of Genesis and the creation account where we're told God rested on the seventh day. Verses 31 through 36, manna named, described, and preserved for remembrance. The question, what is it, sounded like the word manna, so that's what they called it. It was described as white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. It was the color of pearls. It had the consistency of wafers but could stand up to baking or boiling. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. It was important for future generations to see for themselves the evidence of how God had provided for them. So how could it be preserved for all those years? The same way it was preserved to a lesser extent every week for their Sabbath provisions by God. Psalm 78, 22-25 reminds us that in spite of their unbelief, God provided for them. For they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Yet he gave a command for the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. It's a lovely picture of God opening the doors of heaven so that angels' food falls down to people. Moses instructs, instructed Aaron to put an omer of manna in a jar and place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. This would eventually be placed in the Ark of the Covenant, Hebrews 9.4. Then we're told this miracle was an ongoing providence. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Joshua 5, 11-12 confirms this. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Scarlet Threads 
So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus or the gospel do we find in this chapter? They were to gather it daily. We are to work to provide for our families. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. The Apostle Paul applies this truth to giving as a Christian. The idea is that those who have more should share with those who have less, so there is balance. It is not a call to redistribution of wealth, but a call to generous giving to other believers by choice. We should also be content with what we've been given. God made the Sabbath for people. Jesus spoke about how God gave the Sabbath for us so we can rest and glorify God, but people had turned it into a burden. He said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The manna was supplied by God and was satisfying, provided just what they needed, and came down from heaven. Jesus called himself the bread of life after feeding the 5,000 people. By providing bread and calling himself the bread of life, he was demonstrating his superiority both to Moses and to the manna itself. It was merely representative. He was the real thing. It spoils. He is eternal. It could sustain for only a day. He feeds us and we never hunger again. This true bread came down from heaven. By prefacing it with I am, he was showing his deity. Those who ate the manna in the wilderness died, but those who believed in Jesus would live forever. What bread is to the body, believing is to the soul. He was given by God, satisfying our spiritual hunger and spiritual needs, and he came down from heaven. They were to gather and prepare their food for the Sabbath the day before so they could rest completely on that day. We should do the same. They were to set aside the manna to remember God's provision. We should be thankful for God's provision. The manna nourished them. God's word is our bread and nourishment in the wilderness of this world. They were to gather it early in the morning. If they went out too late, it was gone. We should seek God early in our lives. Continue listening for Exodus chapter 17. May God bless the study of his word.